Good morning, church. Good morning. It is a good morning. It is. Summer is coming to a conclusion for all you students out there. For any new time guests here, I am the student ministries, the youth uh, pastor here, and we meet on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8. Uh, but something's a little different about this Wednesday, because we're going to Cedar Point. So uh, if you have not signed up, uh, it is the deadline to sign up is today. You can find a, a sign-in sheet at the uh, at the info center. The cost is fifty dollars. Half of that is due today. The rest of it is due on Wednesday. The twenty-five dollars that you are to give today, if you're to sign up, is non-refundable. Okay, because that is locking you in. Because if I have to get a van, that price is helping towards any uh, any transportation that we might need. So. It gets locked in, all right? So if you're going, make the decision today, give that $25, or you can pay in full as well. Most of the students that we have are already paid in full through uh, different fundraisers and people giving and other student accounts that have been built up. So praise God that we have 15 students going with us this Wednesday. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. So I want to give just maybe if there's been people in the congregation as we've kind of settled in over the last couple of months that have said, man, I just kind of want to hear your testimony, all right? And so today, I'm, I'm going to intro, get you guys maybe up to speed as, as far as where I'm at in my life so that we can dive into this message that I have prepared for us to, ta to, to actually uh, ponder and, and listen from the Spirit of God this morning. I want us to be able to tap in to worshiping the true, only awesome, magnificent God that created us for, for a purpose and has designed us to intertwine ourselves with creation with each other. Now, I want to start off by saying I'm thankful for having parents that I had growing up that got me into a church that provided me opportunities to, to experience who God was put me in an atmosphere. I want to thank the, the teachers and the JBQ and TBQ coaches that got me uh, connected to learning what the Bible was trying to communicate and spurring on this, this desire in me to memorize scripture, to know what the scripture is saying, to have this desire to say, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? What does this mean? I want to thank the ministry that I came from and the leadership there that, that planted all these seeds of leadership that gave me uh, different skills and abilities to be able to stand up here in front of you today as a changed man of God that has a desire and a vision of what God wants to do in this next generation. I want to thank North Point Bible College and the staff there that has provided such a rich atmosphere of learning, of a rich atmosphere of discipline. Me and my wife go there full time. <laughs> She's uh, We're going into our, our third trimester here in a couple of weeks. We are due with a baby girl in December during finals week. <laughs> I tell you. So when I was growing up, there is, there is nothing that I desired more than just to be a part of ministry. That was, like, people would say, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I want to be in the church. Like, I want to be a part of the movement of the church, the body of Christ. Like, I, didn't, I couldn't articulate it that well when I was younger, but I, I knew that there was nothing more desirable in my heart than to be a part of a body that was aiming towards the image of Christ. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to help with that. I wanted to be involved with the culture of church, to, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to know what he was trying to do in each season of life. That could be a part of change. That could be part of this motion forward. That he's, from generation to generation to generation, there's always, there's always a generation that he rises up in the midst of us that is trying to be, strategic in the way that we communicate with him and, and communicate to people what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I served as a, I, I took that opportunity. I was on a, in, in an internship for a year at the, at the, uh, at Life Change Church where I was at for 13 years. I took, when I was just graduating high school, I was like, this is, this is it. 
This is the beginning. Got into an internship. I was working at the hospital. I, I want to thank those who work in the hospital setting. It is not for me. You, that is a calling, I tell you, uh, to work around um, people and what comes out of them every single day. Uh, being a dad is enough for me. Being a dad is enough for me. I was working in the hospital, saving up for a ring because I was ready. I had already met the love of my life, right? And, and I was 17, and we were starting to date. <laughs> and I'm working in the hospital, and the hospi- everybody at the hospital would be like, are you crazy? We had, I, I'd, we'd been dating for a year, right? Then I, I proposed to her, got her dad's blessing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for this opportunity to get to know your family and be a part of it, to know your, your, your daughter that you gave to me in marriage. And I was at the hospital, and I remember people saying, you're crazy to get married at such a young age. You don't even know what love is. And I would look at them, and I'd say, you're right. I have no clue. But I found the person I want to discover that with. Right? Is that not what marriage is? It's not that you are so deeply in love because... Let's just, let's, just put it, let's just make it clear. When you are newly married, you have no idea what love is. Even if you are, I, I bet you if you are 50 years married now, you would probably still today say, I am still figuring out what this thing called love is. Can we just not be naive this morning, right? I dropped that at age 19, got married, and this October we're celebrating eight years of marriage. That's, that's a feat in this generation coming up the, with, with the, the increased do- divorce rates because we just want things to be as they are. And so here we are, you know, newly married. I accept a position as a children's pastor. I do that for three years. It exhausted me. I overseen 100 volunteers, and I almost lost my marriage because of that. I sold myself out because that was what I wanted. Sold myself out to it. I made everybody else more important than, than my household. I stepped down. I couldn't do it anymore. Two years, no, three years, I worked between construction and painting. Me, in that time, I was trained to become a state trooper because I was like, man, if it's not the church, because that seemed to not have done so hot for me, ministry, maybe... I can serve people in another way. I was this close. I had, all I had to do was take my, my final interview and go to th- take my fitness test. And I was in my peak physical condition, so that was a going to be a breeze. And I was going to go to the academy, found out we were pregnant. I would have had to have been gone for five months. And those five months would have been during her third trimester, and I could have potentially missed my son's birth, who's three this Wednesday. There's no shot that that was going to happen, and God woke me up, shook me, said, it's not what I have for you. It's not. That's, I know you're hurt. I know you're disappointed in yourself. But that's not what I have for you. So I started getting involved in ministry again. The, minute, the youth ministry over at Life Change ha- had almost completely depleted because of different transitions that had happened with leadership. And, and I saw a need, and I said, I'm going to get in there. And for almost three years, I volunteered my time. And we went from 18 starting in the summer. By the end of the summer, we had 60 in the bottom of a basement at somebody's house. And we kept transitioning from buildings because we just we needed more room. That hurt the attendance a little bit, but we began to grow this, this thing and this, this awakening in my heart. And all of a sudden, one day, we go to this place called North Point Bible College. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, maybe I don't really want to be still in ministry, but I think I'm liking this whole kind of, you know, interacting with youth. And we're at the, this Discover Day at North Point for my wife. And I'm sitting there, right? I'm sitting there, 
And I'm thinking, well, yeah, this is, this is really cool. This is something for her to go to. She wants to go to college and, you know, explore that. And all of a sudden, God's like, right now, this is you. This is you, too. Why do you think you're sitting here just for your wife? This is about your life as well, and you need to start moving forward. And so we, we did it. We had a newborn baby. <laughs> and we entered into a 16-credit full course, 15 weeks of of school. <laughs> wow. Two years later, we're going into our junior year, ish, kind of. You know, we'll have some makeup classes to do because 16 credits is a lot. So we de- decided to do 13 credits. We dropped a class every semester because <laughs> it is a lot. And here we are. And I want to first of all thank everybody here today. And I want to thank the leadership here today. And the parents here today that have welcomed us in. That I have an opportunity to be here to help not only our young people. But to bridge the gap between the generations. So that we can hand off this baton to those that are rising up. And that's, that's going to be a part of our message today. And, and, and I've, I've titled it, if we can get that slide up, that first slide. I've titled, I Am Worship, as our message today. I am worship. Now that has a two that's a double meaning and we're going to explore what those two meanings are. But first, the question that we're going to be answer, a- asking ourselves today, the question is are we worshiping God? Because I don't know about you guys, but I have a tendency to be a bit self-righteous. I'm just being open and honest with you guys. If you could look at my track record throughout my life, I like things to be as they should be. I I see the world black and white, right and wrong. That is is how I I have trained myself to interpret the world around me, and that can cause a lot of self righteousness because if I think what I'm doing is the right way, Is there anybody else out there that might be like that? I know that's not how everybody works and moves and ticks. Some people in here have to be in control. And if you're not in control, there's issues. There's some people in here, if they don't feel important and needed, then that becomes an issue. There's some people in here who, if they don't feel uh, in, like special enough or highlighted enough, that becomes an issue. If somebody disturbs your peace, that becomes an issue. Or if you have fear and worry and consumed with anxiety constantly, that can be debilitating too. And if you don't know things for sure, or if you have to achieve to experience life. I struggle with self-righteousness. That is always the back. That's always the, and, and so what that has done throughout my career, I guess you could call it, of, of ministry is I saw ministry as my means of worship. I saw that as how I was going to worship God. And I almost lost my marriage because I neglected to see what true worship really was. I want to do a little recap on a, on a story. It's a guy named Moses. You guys might have heard of him. Uh, if you cracked open the Bible at really any point, his name is probably mentioned somewhere in the, in the either after chapters or previous chapters. He's a pretty important dude. He's a pretty important guy in the, in the story of the Bible. And, and why I've titled it, I Am Worship Today, if we can pull up that first verse, Exodus 3.14, is God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. The only true kind of worship is the I am worship. When you worship God who delivers people. We have the story of Exodus, right? It starts off with the Israelites in the land of Egypt, and they're in the best place. They were, they were given the land of Goshen, which was the most fertile ground. They are under leadership 
that, that was giving them everything. And then the story takes a turn all of a sudden. It says there was a leader that did not know the Israelites or the God that they served. Took a turn for the worst. Saw them as a threat. Started to bind them up. And what, what Satan does, what, what, what wickedness does every time, right, goes after the vulnerable. Or it goes after the strong and makes them vulnerable. The Israelites were multiplying. They saw it as a threat. And so they put them under strict pressures, heavy burdens. And they kept growing, kept multiplying. And this is what, this is what Satan does every time. He goes over the weak and vulnerable. They started to, to murder the firstborn. This is, this is the story that Israel comes from, right? And then God says, no more. He raises up Moses, saves Moses. Ha- by the Holy Spirit, leads her to send him in a basket to become a part of the leadership of, of, of Egypt so that he's known in the land. And one day he wakes up. When he's 40 years old, he wakes up and he says, this can't continue anymore. And he tries to defend the people. And he ends up murdering somebody. And that gets him casted out into the wilderness the first time. He's out trying to discover himself, and this is where Exodus 3.14 picks up. When God calls him back and says, this is what you're going to do. And that's what Moses does. He goes. And then God, through, through the power and the words and the leadership of Moses, brings about the ten plagues, saves Israel. They're able to go out into the wilderness to worship him. Let's get into their headspace a little bit. They not only got to that point, right? But every one of their needs was being satisfied. The presence of God was present. Leadership was present. They had Moses. They had Aaron. They had his, their sister, Miriam. And now their food is being provided from, from heaven, Water's coming from a rock. This is where they're at. And now we pick up right in the middle of all of this awesome God experience. Parting of the Red Sea just took place. The ten plagues, they've been set free. And here we are in today's message, what we're going to be looking at. What we're looking at is in Exodus chapter 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, Your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of offerings, a feast to the Lord. And they rose up the early Uh, The next day, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. God, I just want to, I want to invite your Holy Spirit. Not that he's not already here, but I want to acknowledge that your spirit's here today. And invite him to work on our hearts this morning so that we may know that true worship lies in our hearts. Be with us today, God. Be in, be in the words that are spoken. Be in the, in the ears of the listeners that you, Holy Spirit, would take what's being said and that they would be able to interpret the truth. That we would be changed as, as a body today. That we would be changed as individuals. We thank you, Lord God, for your power and your ability to move in our lives every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to do 
and show you in this story is number one, is that God consistently and constantly provides for our needs. Matthew 6.25, we have Matthew 6.25, we could pull up that slide. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, this is Jesus speaking, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The Israelites have been having their needs being taken care of. They weren't okay with the modesty of life. They wanted more. That is the definition of materialism. Never satisfied with what you have. We are called to contentment. With what God blesses in our lives. Not envying after what is not. Adam and Eve did that in the garden. They saw the tree, and they limited their mindset to what is God holding out on? And here we have the Israelites saying, what's become of Moses? What's become of our leader? Our needs aren't being taken care of. We need a feast. We need an image of God. We need an experience. But here we often overlook the simple matter of fact that demands our consistent and constant worship towards God. We have consistent means of worship in our lives every single day, every single moment. We neglect that. We overlook it. Though Moses was away with God, God did not neglect the provisional needs of his people. The manna, the water, even the leadership, Aaron. Do we see these provisions as opportunities to worship? Or do we see them as entitlements? This will determine our overall attitude of worship. Grateful versus demanding. Because that's what happens. That's what happens next is because if we forget, the next, the next point is because if we forget that God is present, we demand representation. We demand it from our leaders. We demand it from the people that are living in the same house as us. Give me a reason to enjoy my life today and to engage in worship towards God. We demand that representation. And this is where the story gets a little hairy because, you guys, to be honest, like, let's look at it from the Israelites' perspective. They've been in Egypt for generations. They have people with them. It says that when they left Egypt, others came with them. So in the wilderness sitting, we have, we have all these different diverse groups of people that have been raised in the culture of Egypt, and it was customary. It was customary to grave an image of a God, to worship it. But God gives them a new way of doing things, ushers in a new way of worship. What do they do? They retreat back. How oftentimes do we find ourselves retreating back to what's comfortable, to what we've known in order to engage in worship? What's comfortable to us? What feeds our demands. It was, it was customary for them. This sounds familiar. I mean, let's just all acknowledge for just one moment, all right, that we live in America, and we can look at just about any denomination of church, and if we decide to go into that building and sit in a service, we already know what that service is going to look like. We've prescribed a service. We've prescribed a setting. It sounds familiar. Even the, the TV experience on, I, 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 you know, for Christian television. We, ex, we expect and experience a certain system that we've set up in order for us to worship and engage. We've made our worship experience the responsibility of those who are in authority, too. Oftentimes, we, don't, we neglect our, our participation as the body of church, and we put it all on those who are in leadership, saying, give me the experience. Just like what the Israelites said, they went to Aaron. Give us a worship experience. Give it to us. We're even willing to pay. Here's our gold earrings. Our only participation often is maybe the, the small financial sacrifice that we make. When we've been called to be generous people in the first place by God. 
We've been called to generosity. That shouldn't even be a thought. We should be willing to help each other with our, with our gold, <laughs> with our finances. But they wanted a worship experience. And so they're like, Aaron, give it to us because we can't worship without you giving it to us. We will pay and support it in order to have these experiences. I can only imagine Aaron, right? Um, like they come, eh, give us a worship experience. You're like, um, okay, well, give me all your gold. Like maybe as a passive attempt that they'd be like, no, you can't have our gold. Okay, then worship God. Like maybe this is just his passive way of trying to put this, this feeling uh, and subside it, right? And all of a sudden they're like, okay, here's all of our gold. And he's like, uh, right? Imagine being Aaron in charge of all these people, not knowing what to do in that situation. Moses is up on the mountain spending time with God, and all the accusations that are probably going on, right? He's up there worshiping God. He's up there probably feasting with God, because that would have been the mindset coming from an Egyptian uh, uh, customs, is that if you're with the gods, you're feasting with the gods. So they're jealous. Aaron, give us this opportunity to worship just as Moses is. And so that's what they do. We treat our worship to God as a supply and demand transaction. If you give us this, then we will worship. If the setting's just right, then we will worship. When we, <laughs> this is what's crazy. If we just, if we look at that, that opening scripture, right, right there at the, at the beginning again. I just want, I want to read it right here. What Aaron says is, says, when he saw, saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made the proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Tomorrow. And then he calls this calf the Lord, as if he's trying to remind them, you're not worshiping a golden calf, you're worshiping God, right? As the leader, he's like, let's be clear, these are not the gods of Egypt, this is, you're worshiping Yahweh. And he says, but tomorrow we'll worship. Not today? What? Not today. We're not going to worship the Lord today. No, tomorrow. And then we're going to feast because this manna that you that God has graciously given to you is not enough, and we want to indulge in the things of life. We want the big experiences. We want the big meals. That's what Israel was saying. So they set up a feast. They weren't content with the modesty that they had. They weren't content with the provision that God had provided for them. They weren't content. They put conditions on their hearts of worship. Which leads me to the next point. It says, when we, when we make time to worship, we actually neglect to worship at all times. When we say, Sunday is when I worship God, what that does to our psyche is it tells us that we don't worship during the week. The, the Sunday experience that we have today should be so overflowing from the worship that we experience all week long. All week long should be a worship experience because worship does not exist because of Sunday service. Sunday service exists because God is worthy to be worshipped. No matter where you're at in life, we've all been called to be generous, we've all been called to be worshipers of God, no matter what our situation is. It is a supernatural act to find joy in a terrible situation. It is a supernatural act to have self-control in a moment of anxiety. It is a supernatural act to be gentle when somebody is being abrasive towards you. Worship should happen at all times. It's the posture of our hearts. When we make time to worship, all other times become opportunities to sin. That's what the Israelites did. They said, tomorrow we're going to worship God, right? And then as, as soon as they concluded, as soon as they were done worshiping God, 
they indulged themselves in a feast. And it said that that phrase there, it says that they rose up to play. That's a Hebrew phrase. It's a term that means they rose up in, in a community-wide sexual activity with each other. They committed community-wide adultery. How, how oftentimes do we give ourselves over to other things that don't need our attention? Throughout the week, and then we come to Sunday service, and we lay it at the altar, we get prayed for, and then the rest of the week is an opportunity for us just to do it again. And that's okay because we come and we offer our sacrifices to God on Sunday mornings. Worship is an everyday experience. It is a posture of our hearts. Necessary, regular, timely sacrifice. <laughs> even, even setting up in the morning. I'm, I'm not saying morning devotionals is not good, but if you are relying on your morning devotionals to be your only worship experience of the day, your heart towards worship has been ill-advised. And Satan has blinded you to the fact that worship is an everyday, all-day experience. God designed this world to be something for us to participate in, to bring about his glory. And when we give up that mindset, we allow sin to run rampant. When we give up the mindset that we've been designed to usher in worship of God at all times, every day, we give up our influence in the world, and sin starts to take over. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us that are in desperate need to see what true worship looks like. When we worship God, we must worship God. We can't worship the experience. This is, this is what happens from each generation to each generation. It's like finally when we accept God is doing something new, we get stuck in it again. Because we're like, okay, all right, it, it might take like that middle generation to finally like be the, that, that, that fulcrum on the teeter-totter, right? It finally, they, they cross over to what God's trying to do in the Holy Spirit. They finally teeter over, right? And then now we have the next generation that's now coming up who's in tune with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, this is what God is doing. And, and us as the next generation is like, you're wrong. This is what God is doing. And we become... Traditional again. Each generation deals with this tension. Is and, and, and yeah, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we're not. We are constantly changing, and God is constantly trying to bring us into new moments with him because of the way our tendencies is to become so reliant on the prescription that we have. We are addicted to our experience. If you're not addicted to drugs or alcohol this morning or to sexual encounters this morning, you're addicted to experience. If you are not relying on the Holy Spirit to bring you into a new place with, with the Lord. We can, like, imagine. Like, worship does not experience, does not exist because our coffee is so amazing in the morning. I mean, imagine tomorrow if all of a sudden all the Starbucks in the world just shut down. How many people would be so angry and upset and would forfeit their attitudes of worship because they can't get their $5 coffee? If the sound or the mic pops... And that causes tension in you a little bit. Maybe we're married to the experience a little too much. If there's an off key or we aren't prepared or if somebody stumbles over their words, right, during the message or during worship, and that causes a little bit of tension in you and allows you to disengage from worshiping God to look and see what's going on, maybe we're a little more married to the experience than what we realize. Because worship does not, ex does not exist because of the experience. The experience exists because of worship. 
when we do, we make, <laughs> when we rely on the experiences, we make ourselves adulterers spiritually. And this promotes all sorts of other desires that we should not have. I want to show you a, a diagram here, uh, if, if that can be pulled up. So this is new versus old. Now this can be new ways of doing things, old ways of doing things. This could be new generations rising up this could, versus the older generation that exists, that is currently here. And now we have these new young ones coming up. This is the diagram. That's, that part in the center is called a proximity space where we, where we exist together with new and old. It's where we exist. The, this was something that I learned in my discipleship class, my evangelism and discipleship class, is the way to increase that proximity space, if we go to that next slide, is when the new generation is grateful for the previous generation's accomplishments or grateful for the methods used that brought us to here today. When we honor what has been and what still is living and breathing and among us, it, in, it brings us closer to bridging that generational gap. How it increases in the, the, the older generation or the older methods is when those methods or when the generation affirms and encourages the new generation. When you get excited when somebody younger walks into the room that might look a little bit different. I know for some of you, you might still be struggling that skinny jeans is a thing. But when you see some young person walk into this, this place, or when you become uh, uh, in, into an encounter with a young person, you should have nothing but affirmation and encouragement. Young people who are against the system, who think they have the answers, so did the other generation. <laughs> honor them. Honor their experience of life. Be, if you are under the age of 35, you should be filled with so much gratitude for the previous systems and for the people that have lived much longer life experiences than you. There should be so much gratitude and honor. And this is what the breakdown was for the Israelites. They were attached to an old way of doing things. God came in with a new way of doing things. And they said, we're not comfortable with it. We resist it. And that encouraged traditionalism and sinful tendencies and desires and idol worship. And when the new people that are coming in, for go, can you imagine if the disciples and if Jesus came into that world and he was like, you know what, that Old Testament stuff, we're never going to read it or refer to it again. Can you imagine the proximity space? Jesus knew how to bring the proximity space of the new and the old. And the Jews didn't like it and they crucified him for it. He died on the cross, bridging the generational gap. The new system versus the old system. He made it so complementary. He fulfilled it, and he explained what it meant. It was like, do not murder. Oh, yeah, did you know if you hate somebody, that also is murder in your heart? Oh, do not commit adultery. Oh, if you look at somebody with lust in your eyes, that's adultery. And people bucked at the, the, the older generation of Jews that were in the traditionalism. They refused to let the new in. And they crucified the new. Really, they crucified the I am that existed, that always had their original intent for this to be the way that things are. 
Jesus came down to tell us, to show us what true worship was. He worshiped God daily for 33 years until he was put on the cross to death. And then he rose from the dead. And then on Pentecost, he, he told this. He foretold them that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And here we have the disciples. They're experiencing even another new way of doing things only 50 days after. Only 50 days after the most new and awesome experience that could ever happen. All of a sudden, Jesus was like, well, I'm going to do something else now. That's only 40 days. And sometimes we marry the same experiences for 40 years. What was the problem with the Israelites? They were there in the wilderness for 40 years because they could not get past moving forward in a new experience in their worship towards God. Man, they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we, even, even when we say that, right, we expect a certain thing. When we even say, like, baptism in the Holy Spirit, when we even say reading Holy Scripture, I have met people who know the Bible much better than me, but treat people so poorly, we've even made an idol out of the Scriptures. We've made an idol out of the Holy Spirit experience, because if it doesn't go as planned, we forfeit worship and our joy in our experience in him, we forfeit it? What? Only a few chapters later, right? We have Stephen. We have Stephen. He gives this long speech. I'm going to read it to you because it brings in the whole picture of the golden cap right back into the story. It's, it is crazy what happens to him because the old will not accept the new. This Moses, this is his speech in Acts chapter 7. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent us both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Jesus, right? This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who let, out, let us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Really? When leaders, like, do we hear ourselves saying, what's become of God? Where's Jesus in my situation? Does that not sound familiar sometimes in our lives? And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven as it was written in the books of prophets. Do you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God Rephim, and the images that you made to worship, and I will, send to you, I will send you into exile. Do you hear that? You'll be sent into exile spiritually when you begin to worship things rather than worshiping God. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. There was fire coming down, and the presence of God was visibly seen. Sound familiar? Acts chapter 2, right? We have the tabernacle back in the Old Testament with this flame that came out. Acts chapter 2 up in the house. This flame that was above the heads of each individual, all 120 people, had this flame on the top of their heads representing that they are the new host of the Holy Spirit. That they are now where people come to meet worship and experience God. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joseph when they were dispossessed, the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet, 
the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house can you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? He fought. Stephen, man, he knew how to choose the words really good here. You stiff-necked people. <laughs> Uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you will always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels did not even keep it. They stoned him to death. Right then and there. Are we going to be a part of an older generation that stones what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives? Because the second part of I am worship The second meaning of that, yes, it is Yahweh worship. But me, you, standing here, sitting in your seat, is worship. You are made in the image of God to participate every moment of your life to be an experience of worship. I am worship. My life is an experience of of worship. Your life is an experience of worship. No matter what situation that you're in, no matter what your pocket looks like, no matter how full your bank is, no matter how, how good and, and together your family is or how unraveled it is, you are worship. If I can invite the, the praise and worship team up today. This song that they, they have prepared, that, that they're going to sing is just, let that sink in. But the song that we sang, like, I want a breakthrough. Breakthrough is coming. I see a miracle. That's going to happen when we participate as images of God. You want to know why God hates idol worship? Because he already made an image of himself. And when we make other things images of worship, it neglects who we are in this world and how much influence we can have on the cultures of today. When we marry ourselves to politics, when we marry ourselves to to sexual orientations in a way of finding our identity, rather than finding our identity in Christ and letting his Holy Spirit convict us of sin, This is who we are because of who he is. We don't exist, right? Like God doesn't exist because we exist. We exist because God exists. And we being a worship experience for the world to see and to come into proximity space with exists because of him. Because of his image in us. could just stand today. You can just ponder what it means to be in the worship experience. Stephen said this, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sound familiar? Jesus on the cross, God, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. If you're a part of the new or the old and you are rejected by the other side, the only way to bridge the proximity space, to bring people into that place is through forgiveness. When other people aren't holding up their end of the bargain, forgiveness is the only, only thing that brings us into a place to experience worship. Let us worship today. Is there people that have, that have hurt you? 
Are there people not holding up their end of the bargain? Maybe you're the one not holding up your end of the bargain this morning and you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ into your life and hearing that you are made in the image of God who have been destined for a purpose of bringing worship onto this earth and to bring back what God designed for us to to do and participate in on this earth, maybe it's your first time hearing that today. Maybe it's your second time hearing it today, third time hearing it today, and you've done nothing with that information, and today you're feeling the Holy Spirit work on your heart saying, I need to acknowledge that my life is a worship experience. If we could all bow our heads, close our eyes, if that is you today, You've never accepted Christ into your life. You've never acknowledged that your life is a worship experience. And you want to participate in that. And you feel the Holy Spirit moving on your heart to accept Christ into your life for the first time today. Can you please raise your hand? Thank you. If you're here today and you've realized that you have resisted the Holy Spirit, you've been, you've been a part of movements You've been a part of those movements, and you've become a bit traditional, and you have resisted new motions of the Holy Spirit. If that's you today, you can just raise your hand if you feel that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. If you're in here today, and you are, you've been so open to the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Such a proclamation to make there, right? But if you feel like God's trying to do something new and you have gone frustrated, you have grown frustrated and you've become resentful towards the people that have rejected your ideas and have rejected who you are and now you have nothing but bitterness left to offer people if you're in here and you're full of bitterness and resentment, please raise your hand if you want forgiveness, if you want to release that. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Let's pray this together as a church, as a unified body of Christ. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for starting something new, for always bringing new things into my life. I want new things in my life. But if all I have is you, then I'm content. If all I have are the relationships I have today, then I'm content. I acknowledge through you, Jesus, that my life is a worship experience to who you are. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. I acknowledge you today as Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.